everyone. And welcome uh, to those of you on the live stream too. Well, um, those of you of a certain generation will, I'm sure, be familiar with Desert Island Discs, but for the few amongst us who may not have heard of it, Desert Island Discs is a Radio 4 program which invites guests on to say, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only take um, the Bible and um, some music with you, uh, eight pieces of music or s some other kind of audio um, recording, what would you take? What would you take if you're stranded on a desert island and you had to choose certain pieces of music that you could play while you were there? If you're sitting next to someone, then just, just find out what, what they would consider taking to a desert island. Okay, okay. By the way, just a reminder, you can take your masks off if you want to during this part of the service. Well, I hope you found something interesting about the person sitting next to you or, or with you. One song that would be on my maybe list is a song by Annie Lennox called Into the West. Is anyone familiar with that song? No one at all. Oh, one, one, two. Good man. I, I knew I wouldn't be disappointed in you, Calvin. It's the end credit song of a film called The Return of the King. And it evokes the mood of the final chapter of the book in which one of the main characters, Frodo, sails into the west across the sea to the... Calvin, where does he sail to? The Undying Lands. That's two out of two for Calvin so far. Stay focused, though, because there's more coming. <laughs> Frodo sails into the Undying Lands, and this song just captures his weariness with life, but also the promise of a bright future. There's a promise of rest. Fears will pass away. It says, those who've gone before are calling those who are yet to come. Night is falling, she sings. You have come to journey's end. The song is, for me at least, beautifully evocative and very short on detail, just like the book. It creates a mood rather than painting a very um, careful description. And I think the same is true of the Bible's picture of our journey's end. It evokes what heaven is like, but it doesn't really give us too much detail to go on. We don't know exactly how we will look, for example. We don't know what we will be doing. But it's the promise of a bright future. The promise of rest, fears will pass away, and one day we will come to journey's end. 
And today I want us to think a bit about that end, and with the help of the verses in 1 Peter 1. Thank you, Abby, for reading those for us. Um, but before we get to journey's end, I want to go right back to journey's start. What is this journey that we have started? Well, these verses were read to us, but let's just read them again. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So the journey begins with a turning point in history and a turning point in our personal lives. So first of all, the turning point in history the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God sent his Father, sorry, God the Father sent his Son to earth to become a man, Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, taught people how to get right with God, was arrested, convicted on trumped-up charges, and publicly executed on a cross. And there, on a cross, he was punished for our sins. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. Isaiah the prophet, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus died and his body was placed in a tomb, but on the third day he came back from the dead, never to die again. And the journey that we've been describing over these last few weeks begins with recognizing and accepting this, that Jesus, who died for our sins, was raised to life to give us life. So that's the historical turning point. The turning point in our personal lives is that through this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he has given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Now this isn't a turning point for everyone, it's a personal turning point, there's a choice to be made, um, a fork in the road if you like. One way is our way, one way is God's way. And to take God's way we have to humble ourselves, Admit to God that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not rich enough to get into God's heaven. And Jesus came for people like that. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus said. So he invites us to accept our sin and our shortcoming and our failures and to own up to them. And when we do, and when we put our faith in Christ, we are born again and we enter into a new spiritual life. We share in the life that Jesus has. I know this is very familiar to so many of you, but it's worth asking the question from time to time, are you on this journey? Because there's no value, really, in having a roadmap for the new forest if you're going to Northumberland, for example. And we've been talking about all sorts of things in this series about God's uh, direction, his provision, about encountering God, about choices, about victory. But those things won't mean too much to us unless we personally have started that journey for ourselves. If we haven't yet accepted the personal significance 
of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We haven't made our personal decision to follow him. Then much of what we've been talking about over recent weeks will not be relevant to us. So perhaps an action for some of us this morning is to start that journey. And if that's you, can I encourage you to speak to one of us, myself, Andy, Ellen, or someone else you know, or contact the church office later this week. And uh, we'd love to help you begin that journey for yourselves. So that's the journey that I hope we have started. What about the journey now? Well, all of the uh, journey um, Roadmap for Life series so far has been about this journey that we're on now, so I'm not going to spend too much on it. But let's note a number of things from 1 Peter, because there are quite a few things from um, that passage. So first of all, it's a tough journey. Now for a little while, verse 6, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, is the reality. One thing that evolutionary biology and Christian theology agree on is that life is a struggle. Or as author Rachel Burge put it more poetically, a life can't be made up of summers. But although it may be a difficult journey, it should also be a fruitful journey. I'm referring, of course, to Galatians 5, and I was quite struck by how, how many references in this passage in 1 Peter kind of take us also back to Galatians 5. So, for example, this faith. Even though you do not see him, now you believe in him. This active trust in God and in his promises. There's hope. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope, this confident expectation um, of what will come in the future. There's love, though you haven't seen him, you love him. There's joy, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And there's perseverance, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. That's in verse 5. And all of this personal fruit has a benefit not just to ourselves, but to others. And I love the, the poetry of Psalm 84. Um, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Baca was a dry and sorrowful place, a place of weeping. In fact, the, the name may refer to a kind of shrub or a tree that, uh, that weeps, that drips, uh, resin or gum-like tears. But what the psalmist is saying is that when God's people pass through places like this, they bring life to it. They bring life to it. They bring refreshment. Now, we may not be experiencing some of the things described uh, in 1 Peter 1. Maybe our faith is wobbling. Maybe our hope is a bit diminished. Maybe our joy is evaporating. Our perseverance, wearing thin. Maybe we feel that the impact that we are having on those around us is negligible. Maybe like Frodo, we're feeling the weariness of a long journey or a tough stretch in the journey. And instead of the joy we felt when we first set out, we're now just tired and we want to get home. 
And if that's how you are feeling this morning, can I just encourage you again with these words from 1 Peter 1 and 6. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the perspective of God's eternity, it's for a little while. In the psalmist's words, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of another. You know, you've been on one of those long walks, you know what it feels like, feeling really tired, and you just need to just put another step forward, another step forward, just to keep going. That's the journey we're on. So, finally then, we come to our journey's end, and it's worth asking the question, so, so what is this journey we're on anyway? Are we just wandering around in circles, or is there a destination that this is leading us to? Because the story of the Israelites, although there were 40 years in the desert, I mean, that really was only a temporary place of testing. That wasn't their destination. And similarly, with the journey that we're on, the life we're living, that's not the main thing. It's the journey's end that matters. And Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And it's a, it's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of abundance. And in a similar way, the Bible's picture of heaven described for us, our journey's end, is a picture of abundance. Some of the images used, healing fruit and life-giving water and crowns of gold and worship around the throne and angels singing, they all combine to paint this picture of joy and celebration and abundance. And at this point, I'd like to bring in C.S. Lewis, who wrote these words. There's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they don't want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they shouldn't talk about them. All these... <laughs> doesn't pull his punches, C.S. Lewis. All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is, of course, a merely symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, not all, music is the thing known in the present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his splendor and power and joy. And gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold doesn't rust and the preciousness of it. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. He's timeless, isn't he, C.S. Lewis? He's absolutely timeless. So what exactly is promised? Well, as I suggested earlier, the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of detail. But we do know that justice will be done and will be seen to be done. 
We do know that we will have new bodies perfected and ready for the new earth we will walk on. We do know that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We do know there will be no more night and we do know that God will live with his people. Billy Graham wrote, Heaven will be a place in which its inhabitants will be freed from from the fears and insecurities that plague and haunt us in the present life. No energy crisis there free from the economic and financial pressures that burden us down here, free from the fear of personal and physical harm, no fear of personal failure, our relationship with him will be intimate and direct. I'm looking forward to that glorious day of uh, going to heaven. And he carries on. Heaven will be what we've always longed for. It will be the new social order that men dream of. All the things that have made earth unlovely and tragic will be absent in heaven. There will be no night, no death, no disease, no sorrow, no tears, no ignorance, no disappointment, no war. It will be filled with happiness, worship, love and perfection. So those are some of the realities of our journey's end. Personally, I'm looking forward to a new body and being able to touch my toes again. I am looking forward to an earth without wars, without crimes, without famines, without depressing news headlines, without COVID masks. I am looking forward to relationships without conflict, a place of shared purpose and shared joy, and the experience of knowing Christ in all his fullness. You may be wishing for similar things or different things. But this is your inheritance if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. These things that the Bible paints, creates a picture of, these things are your inheritance. And Peter says it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is the journey's end. Are you looking forward to it? Are you looking forward to journey's end? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for journey's end? I want to close with a short story. A vicar was waiting in line to fill his car with petrol for a long holiday weekend and the, the queue got gradually shorter and shorter until at last he was able to fill up and he went into the station, kiosk to pay and got to the checkout. And behind the till, the young man recognised the vicar as the customer and repeated an apology he must have made multiple times that day. He said, sorry about the delay, Reverend. It seems as if everyone waits until the last minute to get ready for a long journey. And the minister looked at him and said, It's the same in my business too.